Hi, I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, June 16th. What a week it has been. I'm getting used to June in Colorado with two Junes in a row of championship celebrations. Amidst all of the late nights and parade goings, we have a lot to talk about this week. So let me introduce you to tonight's panel. We have Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, as well as George Brockler, former DA for Colorado's 18th Judicial District and current morning talk show on his own show, 710 NUS. Chris Rourke, thanks for coming in as well, managing editor at Denver Business Journal, and Adam Berg, VP of Government Affairs from the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce. This week has historical significance for Colorado. The Denver Nuggets basketball team joined the National Basketball Association in 1976. Monday night, the team won their very first ever NBA championship. So finally, our Denver Nuggets are getting the national respect and attention they deserve. Although the players and the coaches remain grateful and not boastful, which makes me most happy, Patty. Well, and I'm glad we're all wearing the same clothes that we wore to the parade yesterday, <laughs> our Nuggets clothes. It's, it really is an incredible Cinderella story. You know, they were trying to make the Miami Heat the Cinderella team. No, Denver's 47 years is incredible. And then you have the really, you know, almost charming players. I mean, I love Jokic. You know, I'm done. I get to go home now. It turns out he didn't have to didn't get to go home, he had to ride on the fire engine in front of what, 500,000 I think is the estimate right now for the number of fans who came out. And what makes me happy particularly is people got back out in downtown Denver. They couldn't really see a lot of downtown Denver because it's 500,000 people jamming the roads and jamming the sidewalks, but I hope they come back. And one of the interesting things that we wrote about this week was that there's a plan to try to put a nightmare in charge of Denver, so, and that's not nightmare as in bad dream, a night mayor who would actually oversee the entertainment district, the nighttime economy, which is really important to Denver. It's not just downtown. It's on Broadway, it's in other places, but people need to get out and about, not just when we have a national championship. And you saw smiles, people were happy, they felt energy, and to have energy downtown again was great. George, it's a great week, huh? I accept the offer on the nightmare thing. Um, yeah, fantastic, especially if you're a, a Denver fan. 47 years of nothing like a championship. I think some of the interesting statistics are um, since 1979, there has not been a Western Conference representative that's won the NBA championship, not from Texas or California. We're it. That's crazy. In 79, I, it was prenatal for me. No. Uh, the other part is the humility that Jokic shows is so inspiring. I, I sat down with my 13-year-old and said, you got to watch this guy. This is the way to do it. Here's a guy that misplaced the MVP trophy. He doesn't even know, doesn't even care. I think the most smile I saw from his face was, I got to see a couple teeth once when his brother was like hoisting him in the air. But otherwise, this guy is just all about, let's get it done. I mean, it's no wonder he has all the triple doubles he has. He shares the ball all the time. They're humble. I love him and I love that Malone starts off by saying, we're not done. Mm -hmm. We're not done. We're coming back for more. And I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I do too. I hope they come back, Chris and with the value of their team higher because the Denver Nuggets, when you compare other NBA franchises, I'm shocked to hear that they're kind of far down. Yeah, Forbes just came out with uh, the rankings of all the franchises, and Denver was number 22. In fact, they put Denver's value at $1.93 billion, which is actually pretty good because Stan Kroenke paid for the Avalanche, and uh, Ball Arena, and then also the Nuggets for only $450 million. That's quite an increase in value. 
This week we ran a story and analysts say that there could be another 50 to even 200 million dollars in value bumping up. So we'll see what happens. Of course, you can expect ticket prices to go up too. And there was an email coming out Wednesday. Hey, do you want to buy some season tickets? <laughs> yeah, I got that. Um, so we heard a lot of United's commercials saying beautiful people of Denver, right? But it's all of Colorado, not just Denver, Adam, that received a lot of national attention just during the games. You saw lots of footage from various places of Colorado. What's the impact in terms of what this means for Denver and our whole state? Yet, yeah, first and foremost, uh, congratulations to the Nuggets. They are uh, our first Denver Chamber member uh, to win a national championship, so we're really excited for them. Uh, but what this means for the community, we're talking uh, three quarters of a million dollars uh, from the parade alone uh, in terms of direct economic impact to our city. Uh, Metro Denver, 17 to $25 million of direct economic investment from the national championship games, from having the finals here, and up to four times that amount for the region uh, in terms of indirect investment. So we're talking about a serious influx of, of cash for Metro Denver, uh, and now more excitement about the, the nuggets and what Denver has to offer with all the, the airtime. So hoping this brings people to our great city, our great state, uh, to come spend time here uh, with the national championships and the team and, and the city so we're excited well i would say i can't believe you sang that song because you that is the, the down i love the view but the song <laughs> is hideous and i had to look it up it's from the unsinkable molly brown maybe united thought they were doing us a favor by reviving that but it's going to be going through our heads for months yes. and that's horrifying i did want to bring up one great footnote of this was that the og rocky the best mascot in professional sports got to be back even though he'd retired because his replacement, his son, was injured. So Rocky, the original Rocky, oh, wow. was the I one on the court. Best story wow. next to the Jokic brothers, I who I hope that. become chief of staff for Johnston, but <laughs> the original Rocky got to play in the game after 30 years. Oh, that Fantastic. is so great. Oh, yeah, it's been a wonderful week. But we have to also mention, with all the good, there was the problem Monday night with the, the shooting downtown. When we all woke up or were, had, were up late night and saw that, it was kind of like, ugh. Look, this is happening more and more. In fact, if you looked at any of our major media outlets on the Internet that next day, it was either nuggets or shooting, stabbings, death. I mean, those are the only things that seemed to be in the paper. Mm -hmm. It's troubling. I think the other troubling aspects of this is two of the guys that ended up getting um, taken to court yesterday were given only $10,000 bonds. Each of them were uh, prior convicted felons for felony menacing, using a firearm in another setting where they shouldn't have been, and how easily they were able to obtain weapons and then the, the just the, the freedom they felt, I think, to pull the trigger after such a great event. Uh, I'm worried. Not, it's, this is not a Denver issue. This is a bigger community issue. A lot of people making comparisons to the summer of, of 93 or the summer of violence uh, some 30 years ago. I think when we look at the numbers, so uh, going back to the early 90s, 95 murders in 1992 in Denver, 74 in 93. 81 in each of the next two years. The numbers uh, don't compare today, but there is obviously uh, concern and fear, and we see that downtown when people are scared to uh, go to a, a Nugget celebration and we have a shooting that occurs earlier this week or something like that. So it is uh, a concern for us. It's a concern for the business community. You know, one of the things I was most concerned about was there were so many police officers already on the scene. This happened right in proximity to where they were. Of course, the response was great, but think of the boldness that, yeah. that took place to have this happen just, uh, you know, a few yards from where active police officers are. 
or the sheer stupidity. I mean, you think yeah. about it, they had a lot of drugs. So this was clearly a planned drug deal. And you you keep going, even though it's going to be full of people down there. So um, it there's no question. There are problems downtown. There are problems in Aurora. There are problems in Arvada where that killing was. But... People can still go out and just be careful. But fortunately, we will hope these guys will not evade their courtroom appearance after $10,000 bail. Mm -hmm. On Thursday, the news broke that the suspect in the mass shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs is planning to take a plea deal uh, to more than 300 state murder and hate charges, which means, George, a life sentence for the attack that killed five people and wounded 17. Yeah, I agree. I think that what we don't know is why would anyone do this? And I mean, plead guilty with no, no real offer on the table. It's exceedingly rare because what he's doing is eating all of the sentence that he could get from a jury on a conviction because we don't have the death penalty here in Colorado. But you know who does? The federal government. And to the extent that any of the hate crime statutes that exist for the federal government might give them the ability to shoehorn this case into a death penalty prosecution in the feds, this may very well have either been a negotiated or calculated effort to try to signal to the U.S. The US attorney, I'm willing to go to prison forever and ever, take death off the table. Otherwise, this plea doesn't make a lot of sense. I looked at the criteria for what would qualify for the feds to get involved in, and it completely meets that. Multiple victims, extensive planning and preparation and intent. So it'll be really interesting to see where it goes from a uh, capital case standpoint and whether the death penalty is carried out in this case. Hmm. Adam. Well, and I think this is something too with, with this case right now and, and this seeking of a plea deal. Uh, top of mind in Pride Month, we have uh, the Pride Parade coming up. Uh, here shortly in Denver. And, and again, going back to safety, going back to how do we ensure uh, that our members of our community who are coming to celebrate, uh, you know, and to have their voices heard, feel safe when doing so. George said it doesn't make sense, but it makes dollars and cents. It's good that we do not have to have the expense of a trial, but not just e the economics, the, just the emotional burden for those who would have to sit through the trial, who maybe they want to testify, but they're still going to take their statements, I understand. But we are spared that and then spared appeals. So if we can come to some kind of closure on a horrific, horrible tragedy during Pride Month so people can go out and at least feel good about that, that he is locked up forever, I think that's a good outcome right now. Two energy-related stories of late have raised my eyebrows. It's because of the regulations that are in place to keep all of us safe that aren't really being followed or enforced every single day, Chris. Uh, state, regulator, state auditors have found the gas pipeline safety program that is supposed to really inspect, you know, operators and enforce compliance standards, uh, they're by, in violation. By quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, this is a scathing report from these auditors, from state auditors. It's more than 130 pages of a report. Uh, among the findings were there were years missing of reports. This is an agency that's supposed to be making sure that we are safe. Natural gas can be a very dangerous thing if there are violations present, if, there are, if pipelines are not you know, well-maintained. There have been explosions that have happened. And then the fines, the violations have not been cited. Or when they have been, they've been way under the amount that perhaps they should have been assessed. There was one finding that um, regulators could have cited up to $8 million dollars in, in fines for violations. They came in at about mm, $10 million. And then of those fines, only about 2% of those were paid. 
very, very small. I mean, it lends itself to think, what are these people doing? And in a state where we seem to value regulatory agencies, this agency clearly was not up to snuff. I worry from a business perspective sometimes about the blowback of these things. When an agency uh, gets an audit like this and they're not doing their job, between 2019 and 2022, we passed, the General Assembly passed over 50 bills related to climate change and pollution control. Uh, some of which are still going into effect, directing agencies to uh, essentially be the, the, the people who impose penalties, who hold uh, industry accountable, um, sometimes when industry is not able to hold themselves accountable. And I worry now, next year, uh, when we go back into General Assembly, which is only some 200 days away from now, uh, what are the repercussions? Do we see even more bills now coming down aimed at these industries, which are going to tie the hands of industries who are abiding and trying to do the right thing? So always uh, concerning, but also you worry about some of the repercussions that could also come. Hmm. And there's also the news that came out this week that Suncor uh, is in the news again for spewing more pollution than other similar facilities across the country. And of course, the state had been lax before with reports and permitting for Suncor, uh, which is a huge concern, not just to the neighbors, but all of all of Metro Denver, because the air quality still stinks. Suncor is still very close to so many residential areas. And although there are neighborhoods now that are monitoring it, we are finding that Suncor is in violation much more than we thought, or that the state is also lax, not just with Suncor, but with other operations like drilling, which we're finding out now. So no matter how many bills the legislature passes, unless the provisions are followed, we're going to continue to have trouble. So as the law guy, I mean, George, Oh, how do we how how do we hold people accountable? These are these companies, these groups accountable. Yeah. Look, I am a law and order guy, and if there are laws on the books and rules, I want them to be followed and enforcement to be vigorous. And at the same time, I recognize that we have traffic control laws and speed laws that are rarely enforced. I mean, the last time Denver police wrote a traffic ticket, it was horse and buggy time out here. And there's a, there's a trade-off there. If we stopped every single person that was exceeding the speed limit, we would just have probably a lot like what we have on I-25 right now, which is a parking lot, but you get my point. I don't think this is the appropriate standard for enforcement for a lot of reasons, but for those who wanna use this report as a vehicle for the kind of robust enforcement that would otherwise shut down these corporations, and someone in one of the articles I read said, we want Suncorp gone. I think there's a lot of folks that wanna use the administrative tools to destroy business because they don't like it. I think the other thing is Rod Pelton, uh, out of the northeast part of the state, who's in the legislature, is the only one that asked the question, hey, isn't there some kind of a trade-off here where, listen, if we're going to increase the cost to them for all of these things, they're not just going to dip into their own pockets. They're going to dip into our pockets to help pay for that, too. So this is not an appropriate level of enforcement, but I don't want us to leave this conversation feeling like we need to crush every single violation every single time. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, let's take a look at some local and also national political headlines. I'm going to start with you, Adam. Sure. Yeah. Top of mind for me, there's a, a big psychedelics conference coming to Denver uh, June 19th to 23rd. We're talking about 9,000 people working in this industry uh, with Governor Polis being involved also in this and, and some other professionals. Um, this is no surprise. Uh, to me or I think others who followed sort of the trajectory of what initiated in Denver in terms of psychedelics and then voters uh, choosing as well to, to look at psychedelics and sort of looking at some of the de decriminalization of those. So uh, lots of folks coming in here. I don't know what the trend means. 
uh, for the state as a whole or Denver. We have a new mayor coming in, which I'm sure we'll talk about too. But uh, interesting to see so quickly in just a couple of years uh, the prominence of this, particularly here in Metro Denver and, and Colorado. And Governor Polis is starting it off. Aaron Rodgers is another speaker. Aaron Rodgers That's right. is coming. <laughs> yeah. Rick Perry. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. It'll be an interesting week. <laughs> Patty. Well, of course, it's reason to party at my office, but people are talking about how much it's like when recreational marijuana was first legalized in Colorado. Colorado was the first state to have sales in dispensaries, and it feels a lot like that again, this whole new industry that will be a boom for a while until other states do it. Colorado was the second state. Oregon was the first. But I want to talk about the new mayor a little bit. Went to his announcement of his transition team and the optimism and just seeing Federico Pena back in public, bringing his wisdom and his experience, and he doesn't want anything out of this at this point. He's certainly not looking for a job. So right now it's a very optimistic time for Denver. Nuggets, mojo. The New mojo's mayor. back? The, the mojo's, mojo's back, back for a moment. Okay, and we got to go in next week, too, with the conference. Mojo and mushrooms. Yes, all right. Um, I know on your show this week you talked a lot about the Trump indictment. I did. Listen, there's nothing good that can come out of this. I think this is a real precarious situation for America on a lot of levels. The optics are undeniably bad at every turn. You have a, uh, an attorney general who handpicked a prosecutor, an attorney general who works for the political rival of the guy that ultimately got indicted. That sounds bad, but then you add to that on the other side of this, you have a president who appears, based on the indictment, to have recorded things like, well, I could have declassified these when I was president. I didn't, so they're now a secret. Secret, please take a look at this Kid Rock. And then uh, apparently asking his attorneys, couldn't we just tell the government we don't have these records? Um, there's no good outcome here. Uh, we have this historic precedent. We are prosecuting a guy who is running for president, who has been the president. And I don't think anything good comes out of that prosecution. If we refuse to prosecute, what standard have we set for the future? You know, two weeks before this indictment, a 29-year veteran of the Air Force, a lieutenant colonel, was sentenced to prison for three years for having classified documents in his house. What message do we send to the troops if we don't pursue it? There's no right or wrong way to handle this. It's all bad. Chris. Well, what we also saw was Colorado's Congressman Ken Buck came out and said he won't support Trump if he's convicted. You know, he's been supportive of the former president in the past, and that's quite a shift. Uh, other GOP names coming in, you know, right behind Ken Buck. Wasn't um, Dave Williams on your show saying he too, if the, if the former president is convicted, he won't support him either. That's quite a big of shift in the GOP. And so, Okay, and you mentioned the, the GOP. There was that a Republican conference that you were at as well. It was local, the Western uh, conference. How was that? I, there, there didn't seem like there was a big turnout. My guess is if you'd have had a Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis there, packed house. But you didn't have that, and there's reasons why you don't. It's because the West is blue. And if you look at this, out of the 13 states that make up our West, back in 2004, George Bush won nine of them. In 2020, Trump won five of them. Democrats enjoy a six million vote advantage in the West. Biden had six million more votes. Um, I think uh, Trump won one of the four corner states. Bush had won all four of the corner, four corner states. Uh, there are very little reasons for the Republicans to pay more attention to the West, and it's sort of this self-fulfilling prophecy. Less people are coming out here because they perceive it to be blue. My God, one third of all of Biden's electoral votes came out of the West. West of the Mississippi, and frankly, the, the more West, we're pretty darn blue here. 
But let me ask you about that. Because I understand in the days of Bill Armstrong, this conference drew people from all over, and it was thousands of people. Do, do you really think it's because they don't want to come to a blue state, or has something shifted with the organization itself? No, I think it is the political climate in this area. I mean, look, this is like holding a Yankees conference in Boston, right? Like, <laughs> nobody's going to want to go there to celebrate the Yankees in Boston. If you're a Ron DeSantis, if you're a Donald Trump, and you have limited time between political engagements and court appearances, you're not going to spend your time showing up in Denver, Colorado, uh, to talk to a group of people who aren't going to be difference makers for this state. This state is not going Republican for president for the near future. Let's go around the table now and talk about some highs and lows of this week. Uh, Patty, let's start with the negative that you witnessed. Well, I'm returning to the Western Conservative Summit, and maybe people didn't want to go just because of things like the fact when they did a straw poll of presidential candidates, that Donald Trump, the day after the indictment, won. So that's what the Western Conservative Summit was deciding, that Donald Trump should win the presidential straw poll. So I don't think it's just that Colorado's blue. I think that the people there were maybe a little nutty. Okay, George. I don't think they're nutty. I would also say they did an approval poll, and Ron DeSantis won that, which was interesting given that Trump was also on the ballot. Uh, are we talking negative or negative, positive? Negative, negative. Negative here for me is the ongoing amount of violent crime that seems to be happening, and with younger and younger people. We are having a bit of an epidemic here of juvenile violent crime, and I don't know the answer for it. I think the Gazette covered this, too, talking about are we going to have this other summer of violence that's here. My hope is no, but every time you pick up the paper, to the extent that it's still in physical form, or look at it online, uh, you can't help but see there are more and more kids accessing more and more weapons and making more and more dangerous decisions. My kids are in that age group, and I gotta tell you, as a parent, it worries me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Chris? Well, something broke my heart this week. Um, there was a father from Kansas who was, uh, he's the father of 13 children, and they were in a whitewater rafting accident. Uh, one of his children went under the raft. He died saving that child. And it speaks to how we are really having a high water year. We haven't really had one in a couple of years. So people forget how powerful water is. I want to touch on uh, inflation in Metro Denver. So we got new data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics this week. Uh, consumer price index for all urban consumers ran at an annual rate of 4% nationally last month. Uh, here in the Denver Aurora Lakewood area, it came in at 5.1%. So what that means for consumers here, uh, your dollar's not going as far. You're tending to feel the, the pinch a bit more at things like the gas station, at places like the grocery store. So uh, always con concerning when we have less cash to spend in terms of what that means for our, our economy here. So something we're watching very closely. Okay, after that depressing thought, something positive, Patty? Well, <laughs> the Nuggets are not the only local heroes. Developer Pat Hamill, at the University of Denver, an alum who went and was the speaker, he talked about how he had just survived this near-death experience. He gave $500 to each graduate in cash, which isn't easy to do these days, but just as a gesture, encouragement to go on. That is wonderful. That's something. We'll stick with the education thing, too, and this is a, a bit personal, but it's broader than that. You know, two years ago, my daughter graduated from high school. She got to give one of the graduation speeches, and all the talk was about the COVID and the impact on them. Two years removed, my son, 
He graduates, I go, and there's still some talk, but not as much about COVID. By the time my third of four children that I know of graduates, um, there won't be any talk of COVID because they will become the first high school graduating class that did not suffer through COVID as part of their high school experience. And I have to tell you, the difference in the kids' demeanor and outlook towards school is remarkable. And the further we can put that horrible event behind us, the better. Amen. Chris. Well, mine's a little bittersweet. I'll tell you the good first. It's the 50th anniversary of Secretariat winning the Triple Crown. And I remember as a child watching that, dumbfounded to see this horse leap out 31 lengths in front of the competition and, and be the Triple Crown winner. It was the Belmont Stakes where he sealed it. It's bittersweet because we've seen a really tragic year in the thoroughbred industry, the horse racing industry, where we've lost so many horses. There's a light shined on it now, but the industry has always been brutal. There are horse deaths every year, not just this year. And so, you know, I, I think we have to really look at how far we push young horses. And yet this, this experience is so inspirational, too, when you do see a horse like Secretariat come out, be that strong, big red that they used to call him, mm -hmm. and really have a performance that was amazing. So it's, it's kind of a bittersweet you know, in 50 years. Thanks for recognizing years. that. Adam. You know, I got, I got in with the Nuggets. I'm a, a born and raised Coloradan. Uh, I've watched this team since I was a little kid. Uh, and for the first time in almost 50 years in the league, uh, they got an NBA championship. So to give people an idea, before this season, there were only two teams founded before 1980 that had not been to an NBA Finals, the Nuggets and the Clippers. Uh, before this season, there were 12 NBA teams that had never won a championship. And the Nuggets get to check themselves off that list this year. So it is time to celebrate as a city. Uh, and if you looked at the odds for next season, both the Nuggets and the Avs are, are ranked to potentially win uh, both of their respective championships. Ooh. So pretty yes. exciting. I'd also like to add a happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We saw the other night Nikola Jokic with his family and his precious little daughter. And again, at the parade, the love and the bond there are so genuine and pure. Now, not every moment of fatherhood can be as glorious as that. But each moment counts and is important. So wishing you all a happy Father's Day. And for those whose dads are not with us, here's to a day of comfort and good memories. Thank you all for joining us this week. Thanks for watching on your TV or device. You can catch Colorado Inside Out anytime on pbs12.org or YouTube, and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Kyle Dyer. I will see you next week here on PBS 12.